Hello, and welcome to Schoolyard Astronomy, a podcast about astronomy education in our little neck of the Big Piney Woods area of Huntsville, Texas, including activities taking place at the Sam Houston State Planetarium, the Sam Houston State Observatory, and the Huntsville Amateur Astronomy Society. Today's episode is the first in a series I'll be doing where we explore some of the very basic questions a beginning astronomer may ask if they wanted to get more into the hobby. Today's question is, how do you get to know all the constellations and star names? And the short answer to this question is practice. Practice, 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 and lots of it. It doesn't happen overnight, no pun intended. But there are 88 constellations in the night sky covering both the northern and southern hemisphere. There are dozens of stars with common or proper names such as Rigel, Vega, or Arcturus, and thousands more that at the very least have some sort of catalog designation such as HD 189733 in Vulpecula. But more on that star in a later episode. You could spend a lifetime trying to learn all of them, which to some may be part of the fun. But the great thing is that you don't have to do you don't have to do it if you don't want to. You don't have to learn all of them. Learning some of the stars star names is helpful to navigate your way from one part of the sky to another. Just like learning a few street names and familiar landmarks is helpful in learning to navigate through a new city. Only in this case, the streets are constellations the landmarks are stars, and the new city is the night sky. And like always, when trying to get from point A to point B in a new city, it helps if you have a good map. The easiest map to learn and use is called a planisphere. Planispheres are small, round star maps, usually with an insert that contains all the basic well-known constellations and a small number of star names, usually the brightest ones. The size of the dot representing the star corresponds to the brightness of the star. The brighter the star, the larger the dot. This will be true with any planisphere or star map. The brightness of a star is measured in magnitude. The brighter the star, the lower the magnitude. The dimmer the star, the higher the magnitude. The brightest star in the night sky, Cirrus, has a visual magnitude of minus 1.4. Vega, mentioned earlier, appears a bit dimmer and has a magnitude of zero. Polaris, most likely represented by the center of the planetosphere, has a magnitude of about two. Under ideal conditions, the average person can see stars down to about sixth magnitude, which accounts for about 8,000 stars total for the northern hemisphere. That means on any given night, you can see about 4,000 stars. Your planisphere won't have that many stars shown. Most show all stars down to about 4th magnitude and a few other stars down to 5th magnitude to help fill in some of the dimmer and less well-known constellations. So how do you use your planisphere? The round insert inside fits inside a cover or mask that hides all the constellations except for the ones currently up at that time of year. The outer part of the planisphere will have a calendar on it, and just inside of that, on the, on the mask, will be a list of the hours of the day. Simply rotate the mask until the hour you're observing matches up with the date you're observing. The constellations that are, that are then visible on your planisphere should then closely match those that are visible in the night sky for that particular evening and hour.
orient the planisphere now to correspond with the direction you're facing. For example, if you're facing east, make sure you're holding the planisphere so that east is at the bottom. Find a comfortable chair to sit in or a spot to lie down. Hold the planisphere above your head and you're off. Second star to the right and straight on until morning. Oh, wait, no, never mind that. I mean, you're off to navigate through the constellations. Most planispheres are built to show the sky approximately at 40 degrees north latitude. If you live more than 5 or 10 degrees north or south of there, you may want to get one that is closer to your latitude. Since it is small, there typically isn't a lot of extra information on it, and only the brightest stars have, have the names listed. You may even find, if you're lucky and your sky is really dark, that there are more stars visible in the night sky than there are on your planisphere, but that's a good thing. What it lacks in detail, though, it more than makes up for in portability, and can save time by using it as a quick reference to finding the brightest stars and their constellations instead of using a full-fledged star map or computer software. If you want something with more detail, then you will need to get a star map or star atlas. There are a number of them available in your local bookstore or available online for free. A star atlas will typically show more details such as more stars, location of deep sky objects such as galaxies, nebula, and star clusters, and may even show meteor shower radiance. If you have heard about a comet that's recently been discovered, you often can find star maps showing how to find it along with its orbital path freely online. You'll need to look around when picking out a star atlas. They can range in price from a free to a few hundred dollars. Some of them are really good and others not quite so. It will depend largely on your needs. Then there's planetarium software. Like a good star atlas, they can provide a lot of information and the location of many faint fuzzies. They can be updated, which is something that an atlas normally can't be done. If a new discovery is made or a new comet appears, oftentimes a new object will appear as the software updates itself if you're connected to the internet. Also, if you have a planetarium software, usually you can print up custom charts that match your location and are catered to the types of objects you want to see on a given night. Let's say you want to spend one night looking only at the planets and asteroids that are in our solar system, such as Jupiter and Saturn or the asteroid Ceres and Vesta. You can print out a chart with the location of the planets and asteroids currently visible from your location. Finally, you can go to a local astronomy club when they have a public star party. In addition to showing off their telescopes and wowing visitors with telescopic views of Saturn or the Moon, you may find someone there who can show you some of the constellations in person. If you're like me, you're a visual learner. You just have to see it in order to get it. Once you see it, though, you don't forget. So having someone more knowledgeable point out a few things can be a big help and give you kind of a jump start to learning the night sky. Soon I'll be posting a recording of a forum I was able to attend at the George Bush Presidential Library at College Station. Their guest speaker was Dr. Joseph Curran, a former astronaut who flew on the first Skylab mission, which is something I've always had a bit of a fascination with. This was a very neat experience that I hope to share with you all very soon. This concludes this episode of Schoolyard Astronomy.
This episode was written and read by Michael Prokosh. You can find out more about Schoolyard Astronomy at schoolyardastronomy.wikispaces.com. Clear skies!